many of you have ever struggled with the story of Sarah and Hagar, Isaac and Ishmael, and the seeming harshness of it all? And it is pretty harsh, isn't it? I mean, it's understandable to struggle with this story. Sarah, being barren, gives her slave girl to Abraham so they can have a child. But then after Hagar gets pregnant, Sarah gets all upset, starts to hate her. So Hagar runs away. But then an angel finds her and encourages her to go back and take the abuse. Nice counseling there. And then promising her countless descendants. So she goes back. But then finally Sarah does have a baby and is now really furious with Hagar and Ishmael. So she makes Abraham send them away out into the wilderness where Ishmael almost dies except is saved by divine intervention. It is a rough story. And it raises a ton of questions. And then as if the plain details are not harsh enough, then theologies come along <laughs> that use the story to condone the Crusades and perpetuate the endless hate between Muslims and Christians. Thank God for St. Paul. Yes! <laughs> oh! God, it's so good to read St. Paul when he's freed of some of the shackles he's under. Here at the pinnacle of his argument for grace over appeasement, he does not add to the harshness of the story. Though some have certainly taken his words in that direction, and I'm sorry if, if, if you've been further confused by that. But instead, he helps us understand the underlying allegory of the story the beauty within it, and the exceeding amazingness of grace. This is not to say, I don't know if he did not hold the story historical or not. I, I don't know St. Paul. That's not important to me. What is important to me is that this is a brilliant lesson on how we can approach Scripture. For here, St. Paul is doing exactly what Jesus did. These are ancient stories given so we might see the saving work of God in the world. See our own place in that great redemption narrative. Understand better God's ways in the world and how we can more authentically enter into them. We can see the forest and not get lost in the trees. This is how St. Paul and Christ approach Scripture. So St. Paul, in this book of Galatians and throughout his library, is helping us to understand the way of God is grace, right? We've been looking at Galatians for a while now and seeing the difference between grace and appeasement, encouraging us to embrace grace and flee appeasement. And he uses this ancient story to show us this is how it has always been. It's never not been this way. This wasn't something new Jesus revealed about God. It's always been this way. And if we are not careful no matter how much we think we believe the Christ story and how much we're right and everybody else is wrong, no matter how great our Christian lives look, no matter what we think we know of truth, if we're not careful, we can end up right back in appeasement theology. And that's on every side. And I want to be clear about that. Sometimes I think I come off a little rough on the conservative side. Appeasement theology is everywhere. 
and it's just as much on the progressive side as it is on the conservative side. Because appeasement theology is worshiping ourselves and that's what we love to do at the end of the day. Right? So, this is an incredible commentary on the Saren Hagar story. I think the best commentary that there is on the Saren Hagar story. And this can challenge us about our own tendency to blend appeasement and grace. Because once we blend appeasement, there is no grace. Once we blend appeasement with grace, grace goes out the window. This can convict us of the ways we can be like this faction in Galatia that Paul is, that Paul is fighting against, that pull others away from true grace. And above all, this commentary by Paul offers us the most hauntingly beautiful understanding of the gospel that can encourage all of us. And I think we all need that this week and a lot of us every week. So I want to dive in and just see how remarkable it is the way St. Paul handles scripture. So he starts right here. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. And right away what he is doing is he is contrasting appeasement versus grace. But this is the trickier kind of appeasement theology because it is mixed in with an element of grace. And this is the most dangerous theology of all. This is the one that infects the majority of us, all of us, infects us deeply. I have been trying to push into a theology of grace for 15 years now, and every day I'm still finding where I'm totally into appeasement theology. And this is why Galatians is such an important book for all of us. One of the things that I hated the most growing up my father had lawns that looked like golf courses, like gorgeous, green, beautiful, just grass, no weeds, nothing. See, my wife doesn't understand why I hate landscaping. Here's one of the other reasons. I, I hate landscaping so many reasons. This is one of the big reasons. So if there was a dandelion, me and my brother had to get the dandelion fork, you know, a little thing that looks like a serpent tongue at the end, and get out there and get it and make sure we got it all from the roots not just pulled it up. You had to dig the roots out. And better do it before it turns white. Because that's where it sees and it goes. You know what I mean? My father didn't have dandelions. My lawn? I don't have grass. I have moss and dandelions. I have clover. I have wildflowers. It's awesome. So I have dirt. I don't do that. But it's a great, great illustration for appeasement theology. We are born into a heritage that goes back forever of needing to appease God. And it doesn't matter whether you believe in a, real, in, in a real God that is somehow greater than every uncreated thing or not. We all have gods. And what are you appeasing? What God are you appeasing? We live that way. Our relationships are based on appeasement. So it's deep inside. So commentaries like this are so important for us. But this is why this is so tricky. See, here we go. Abraham believed in God's grace. When God promised him a son from his barren wife, only something God could do, nothing that he could be part of. If his wife was barren, he wasn't having a baby through her. But God said, yes, you will, because I will do it. He believed it. Abraham believed the Lord. He believed it. He believed in grace. And he was ready to receive that grace. And notice what the result was. His righteousness. There's the gospel. God promises, and we accept the promise. Now I need to make a side note. Don't make belief the mechanism. Don't do it. We always go there. That's appeasement. If we believe properly, 
God then saves us. Nope. That's appeasement. The gospel is God saves us and we can accept it or not. But accepting something God does or making God do something through our current acceptance are two very different things. And that can be quantum physics. I get it. But here's what I believe with all my heart. If grace is true, just pray about it. And over the years, God will explain the quantum physics of that difference. Because it is profoundly different. So Abraham is the perfect example of this whole tension, which is why I've said this commentary on Paul, from Paul, is so brilliant. See, while Abraham initially believed in grace, he eventually had to insert himself into the equation. Because grace promises so much, doesn't it? And then it never really seems to work. There's the, there's the problem with grace, right? Everything else works so much better. So much better. Luther would talk about right-hand power versus left-hand power. Grace dies and offers us to live like that. But it takes so long. Right? Jesus said it is finished, but boy, it sure doesn't seem like it's finished. This is why grace is so hard to believe in. So we have this promise that we want to believe in and we want to accept this grace, but it's so hard that then we insert ourselves into the, into the promise. Now, this doesn't happen in a vacuum, and it didn't happen in a vacuum with Abraham. What happens is, it always happens with the help of other non-believers in grace. Most of whom are our fellow Christians. Though there's a lot of people that won't even do anything with grace because it's just so contrary to human existence. But often, we get talked out of the theology of grace by Christians. So, watch what happens with, here with, with Abraham. So he believes, he believes in the promise. Okay, God, this is great. From your barren wife, Abraham, you will have a child. And then Sarai says, let me sum this up. Abraham, we know the promise is from God, and only he is the one who will bless us with a family. And here is my young, beautiful servant, and you're still potent, so let's do this. He believed in the promise, but boy, this sounded really good. God did promise us a nation of children. So let's participate in that. See what it says right there at the end? And Abraham agreed. And the blending of grace and appeasement commenced and out went grace. The second you try to add anything to grace, it's no longer grace. And so this is what this difficult language is from Paul. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. See? Abraham believed the promise, but he had to do something to make it happen. That wasn't the promise. And here in Galatia, this is what Paul is dealing with, is the same dangerous mixings. The new believers are being told, oh, you believe in Christ's work on the cross? That's great. But if you really want to be in the family, you have to live according to the law. You have to start by getting circumcised, and then you have to follow the law. 
That's what Paul is dealing with. This blending of grace and appeasement, and it's so dangerous. All right? So I want to make a side note that we can help open us up to what's happening here maybe in our time and place. So first of all, from John Stott, he has a great quote about this. I paraphrase it just a little bit just because some of his language is sort of there. But he says, the persecution of the true church is not always by the world who are strangers, but by our half-brothers, religious people. And I'm going to pause here. Don't give yourself a loophole and say you're not religious. Well, I'm not religious, David. I have a relationship. All right, that's a bumper sticker. And we're all, related. We're all religious. Okay? Because the second we think something we do makes God love us, we're religious. Okay? This is why it's so dangerous. So stock goes on half-brothers, religious people, those who proclaim a blend of grace and appeasement. The greatest enemies of faith today are not unbelievers, but the church, the establishment, the hierarchy. Isaac is always mocked and persecuted by Ishmael. And I know that. For the last ten years, and I'm not even out of theology of grace yet, I'm trying to get there. But just taking steps into theology of grace, I've, I've faced plenty of mocking. People hate grace. Sadly, Christians most of all. And the reason Christians do it most of all is I'm not bad-mouthing Christians. I'm a Christian. Though I'm not convinced I'm a Christian the way some people are Christians. Sometimes I don't even want to use the word anymore, but I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. But the reason I'm saying it's so natural for Christians to do this is because we're human and appeasement runs deep in every part of our lives, right? If you want to get a raise at work, you better be really good at it. If you want more clients for your business, you better be the best at your business. You want your wife to treat you nice, you better treat her nice. And on and on and on, appeasement theology goes, right? Well, then you come in and it gets you accepted out there. Well, then you come into church and here's the most powerful thing. And we like to know we deserve to be at that table. See why grace is so hard? We don't deserve to be at that table. Well, who wants to believe in that? I want to be part of something I deserve, I'm good at. Right? Grace is hard. Grace is really hard. So now, look at what Timothy Keller says. And this is a great thought. I want to use this quote because it, we could sort of check where we are in this grace versus appeasement thing. All right? Because often, and this is really good for me, because I, I, like I said, I've been exploring this for 15 years publicly with all of you for almost 10 years. And I'm still realizing I have so far to go to get rid of appeasement theology in my life. So Timothy Keller, this is a great quote, very convicting to me. The gospel is more threatening to religious people than non-religious people. Religious people are very touchy and nervous about their standing with God. Their insecurity makes them hostile to grace, which insists that their best deeds are useless before God. There, there it is. That's why we hate grace. One of the ways we know that our self-image is based on justification by Christ is that we are not hateful and hostile to people who differ from us. One of the ways we know that our self-image is based on justification by works is that we persecute. And that's why I said what I said earlier. This isn't a conservative issue. This is both sides of the aisle. You persecute, you're not into grace. We watch this, what I think is an amazing film. People might have their own commentary on whether it's a Hollywood thing or not, but I, I thought it was absolutely amazing. Last night, Jennifer and I, and even Noah, 
uh, he, he, he said, I'm not going to watch it, and then all of a sudden he just was engaged. It's called The Wonder. If you haven't seen it, see it. It, oh my gosh. And it's all about this. We're, we're all the same. And we all have our stories. And maybe if we took time to understand each other's stories, maybe would we would understand each other better. And maybe the hate and the persecution stops. But the reason we hate and persecute is because of this. We're not into grace. We're into appeasement. We're into what we do. And because God loves me because of what I think, he must hate you because of what you think. See, it's just simple. It's better that way. I wish all of you had been here for the opening video. I think it's one of the most powerful videos I've shown at Cana. If you haven't seen it, it's called uh, Ends and Means, right? Ends and Means by Robbie Heck. Yeah, you can put it on Facebook. Facebook, Ends and Means, and it is powerful. The ends don't justify the means. Christ says the means justify the ends. Think about that. So, we see in the story why it's so back into the story. Sorry, I just went off there for a second, but that's okay. I just wanted, this is a difficult story, and, and Paul does such a great job of breaking it down, and we, we probably are fighting against his, even his breakdown of it because we want it to be what we've always taught it to be. So we see in the story why it's so easy to slide into appeasement. What does grace require? Simply receiving. And most of us are so capable, strong, intelligent, healthy, beautiful, independent, etc. We don't like to receive. And if we were born in America, we definitely don't like to receive. Because our creed is be independent, be strong, be self-sufficient. And grace says, well, if you are, then you don't need grace. And this is true in all areas of life. So it follows we will struggle when it comes to theology. But in the end, this is just slavery to our own delusions of being God. And that's what this harsh language is about. Slave woman. Paul is talking about then you are a slave to the law. You're a slave of appeasement. And like her son, it doesn't get us into the family. And here is where Paul's argument gets crazy. He actually says this. He equates Hagar and Ishmael to Jerusalem. Do you know how blasphemous this statement would have been when he said it? When they got this letter, and whoever was reading it out loud to the gathering, there would have been people rending their robes and saying, this is why we hate Paul, and this is why you shouldn't follow Paul, you should follow us. Jerusalem is the city of Sarah and Isaac, not Hagar and Ishmael. See what Paul is saying about appeasement? The law? And the law is good. Unless we're using it to appease God, then it's horrible. But here's the thing. All appeasement theology, no matter the pedigree, the history, the family, the beginnings, etc., 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 is not grace, and therefore it's not part of the family. And I hope no one's sitting here thinking to themselves, well, I know, I'm not into appeasement. No. Use this incredible commentary from St. Paul to look deep inside 
Appeasement theology changes everything. It makes us act the way we do. Grace theology changes lives and transforms us. And so Paul says, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. And here, now we've gone through the challenge, we've gone through the conviction, now we get to the beauty of this commentary that all of us need. The free woman is the barren woman. She's the least of women. In those days, especially being barren was the worst form of suffering for women. They would have preferred anything else to being barren. Even today, sometimes women are made to feel less than just because they don't or can't have kids. I'm hoping that's play acting. I think it is. Speaking of kids. And I hope we've never made women feel less than because of their choice not to or because they can't have kids. And in those days especially, there was an understanding that barrenness may suggest something wrong in your standing with God. Okay? And so this part of Paul's argument is a stark reminder of the central truth of the gospel. That God loved us before we ever moved to love him. And it is a beautiful reminder that God loves us as we are and not as we should be. So here we go. Two things. The first thing is this. When Sarah finally became pregnant, it was during a time of deceitful and fearful living on the part of Abraham and Sarah. See, here's the other misnarrative that has been perpetuated by modern Christianity. Modern Christianity is an ascent. You start here and you get better and better and better and better and better. And the better you get, the more God blesses you and loves you and the more grace he throws into your life. No. If you get better and better and better to earn his grace, that's not grace at all. Okay? The gospel narrative is a descent. As we get closer and closer to grace, I think our lives get better and better and better because when you live like Christ finally, you don't hate anybody and you love and you live an amazing life. But that's different than what I'm talking about. And so some people subconsciously think all of a sudden Sarah just needed time to get better and better and better and better to have this promised child and Abraham need to get better and better. That's not true. Read the narrative. Right before the promise came, they were in this country and I think it's Genesis 20 and I think it's Abimelech is the king and because they're so afraid, that's when they go and they tell the king Sarah is his wife. And so the king takes Sarah in the fullness of the, of the biblical word takes. And he knows her and he has her. They are living in fear and absolute deceit. And then what happens immediately? Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. That's grace. Sarah and Abraham did nothing for this promise except receive it because that's all you can do. 
No appeasement, no human involvement, just grace. And now here is the beauty and encouragement we can take from this spectacular commentary on the Saren Hagar story. Paul sums it up by quoting the great prophet Isaiah. Be glad, barren woman. How many of us feel like our lives are barren? Maybe not always, or for some it might be always. For some the suffering never ends, but all of us know suffering at times. The reality of our circumstances are not changing and they leave us feeling barren. Our lives can feel as if they've had no purpose, no fruit, no value, barren. We struggle to make sense of the emptiness that we can't even put into words that just lingers behind. Barren. Be glad, barren woman. So I'm going to put this into language that our community especially knows. Be glad you who has pancreatic cancer. Be glad you whose husband has pancreatic cancer. Be glad your mother-in-law is fighting cancer. Be glad when you suffer from ailments and no doctors can tell you what's going on. Be glad when your mom and dad died when you were young. Be glad when your parents are old and you're trying to work through the end of life. Be glad when you suffer with poverty and you're constantly battling finances. Be glad when your marriage suddenly ends. This is not don't worry, be happy philosophy. This is not put a smile on because you're a good Christian. This is real language, both from ancient prophets and from more modern prophets. It's not cruel either. I think this is the gospel that I think maybe we're all missing. Because you don't hear Christians talk like that, do you? But what if we could talk like that? Notice what Isaiah says about barren woman. More are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. He doesn't say because then the desolate woman will have a woman a husband and everything will be fine. He says, no more are the children of the desolate woman. See, this is the mystery of grace that I don't claim to understand, but I'm trying to believe it because the more you study scripture, the more this is the beautiful story. 
God looked down upon the earth for a woman through which to bring his promise. He saw a beautiful, young, healthy woman and a barren, old, bitter woman. And it was the barren, old, bitter woman he chose. Why? Because the strong, healthy, beautiful people just have such a hard time knowing we need grace. But the barren always know they need grace and are always willing to receive it. So be glad, barren woman. Because in the upside-down world that is the beautiful kingdom of God, when we are barren, we are blessed. For when we are barren, we are least, we are last, and we are dead. And as Paul shows us in this ancient story, as Christ shows us on the cross, when we are least, we are great. When we are last, we are first. And when we are dead, we are finally alive. If this is not true, then nothing matters. But if it is true, my prayer is that we would all, moment by moment, move deeper into this amazing mystery that out of death is life.